Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you uh, just for the freedom to gather here this morning, to sing to you, to uh, just speak the truth of your word, and I pray, God, that your spirit this morning would speak to our hearts, God, that we would see you for who you really are, we would see your beauty, God, that we would be captivated by you, that we would be in awe of you, Father, and um, God, that we would just stand amazed as we consider your gospel, as we consider the truth of what's been done for us through Christ, God. Um, I pray that we would just continually be amazed by you. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for who you are and what you do. We thank you for how you take care of us. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, welcome, guys. Y'all can be seated. My name's Weston, one of the pastors here at Covenant, and we're so glad that you guys are here today. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. We're in week three of our Jonah series as we celebrate Lent. As Luke mentioned this week, putting down the lesser thing of caffeine taking up the greater thing of Advil. (laughs) At least that's what my week's going to be like. Um, Have you ever experienced a moment where you felt as if you knew exactly what God wanted you to do? A moment where you felt like he was speaking to you or he was leading you to do something specific? Maybe it was in the midst of a conversation Uh, Maybe it was a person in need that you encountered. Maybe it was a situation where you realized you could extend a form of grace to another person or a form of forgiveness to another person. Whatever the case, you knew it. Uh, You knew what he wanted. You knew that he was calling you to do it. But rather than venturing into the uncomfortable unknown of trusting God... Uh, You chose instead to suppress that voice or that urge, and instead you moved on with your life, assuming that if you could just press on and ignore God's leading, that ultimately it would subside. Have you guys ever experienced that? Chances are, if you've been following God for any length of time, uh, this has happened to you more than once where it seemed very clear to you that there was something that God wanted, but it just did not fit into your agenda at the moment. Rarely does God choose what we would consider to be opportune times to make his will known. Usually it is the most inopportune time. And the reason for that is not because God's timing is bad. It's because most of us have not cultivated lives that are expectantly waiting for God to lead. We have left no margin for him or his Holy Spirit. Instead, we push on with our agenda and then we're bothered and annoyed when God pops up and throws a wrench in our carefully laid plans. When you consider the story of Jesus, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is is that Jesus is seemingly uh, going about his agenda, but is constantly being pulled off course. 
He, he's constantly being approached by people with specific needs. He, he's constantly, uh, you know, having women uh, coming up to him and grabbing him of his garment. He, he's constantly being followed with, by people who have uh, tremendous need in their life. And even though he has purpose, even though he has things that he's seeking to accomplish, Jesus is always willing and available to kind of veer off course and address the needs that have presented themselves right in front of him. So often I feel as if I know uh, in this kind of what would Jesus do sense, what I should do, and, and yet I don't because I have other things or better things to do in my life. And this is why Jonah is such a great book. I know Jonah because I am Jonah. I know God, I recognize his voice, and often he calls out to me in the middle of my busy schedule, and I go, oh man, God, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that. I have more important things to do, and so I press on as if I have heard nothing. But what if that wasn't how we lived our lives in relation to God? What if we were ready and waiting when he called? What if we actually believed that the purpose of our lives was to follow him in his mission and pursue his purposes? What if we were truly freed up to be driven by the whims and the winds of the Spirit? Today we find ourselves in week three of our look at the book of Jonah, and thus far, this book has been epic. Uh, We have seen that God called Jonah to go to the great Assyrian city of Nineveh, Uh, not only a pagan city, but a Gentile city with a population of probably somewhere around 150,000 people. So we're talking about a city roughly the size of Shreveport, not all that different, but one of the larger, mightier cities of the day. And history tells us that the Assyrian people were brutal warriors. They were terrible people. They did horrible, heinous, abominable acts against people that they were conquering. And and so if history is correct, it should really come as no surprise to us that Jonah was not itching to go to Nineveh and to call them out. In a modern sense, it really would be no different uh, than one of us uh, plopping down in the middle of North Korea and decrying the sins of that nation, or or infiltrating like an ISIS stronghold and, and putting a finger in their chest. That's what God had called Jonah to do. So before we look down our noses at him, let us realize that God called him to no small task. And let us also realize that Jonah probably assumed that following the call of God would mean his death. A pastor friend of mine recently uh, described Jonah to me as the graphic novel of the Bible. And I thought that was a great uh, assessment of this book. It's, it's a pretty short narrative. There are only four chapters here. Um, There are some extremely colorful characters, not only Jonah himself, uh, but these sailors that you meet, and you've got these these Ninevites, and and there's there's this fantastical element to the story with Jonah being swallowed by the fish. Um, It's it's an incredible, rich 
book, despite the fact that it's very short. And this week we look at chapter 2, which is an interesting departure for us because from a literary standpoint, we're moving from kind of the prose narrative of chapter 1 into a more poetic expression in chapter 2. Uh, where we left off in chapter 1, Jonah ha- has just been swallowed by this fish. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2, reading together. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves And your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So, before we start looking at the actual content of Jonah's prayer today, I want to just say a few things. First of all, uh, today we're looking at one of two, uh, what I would call forgotten chapters within Jonah. Even though Jonah's only four chapters long, um, so often chapter 2 and chapter 4 of Jonah are just completely neglected when this story is paraphrased. So, so here's how the paraphrase of Jonah often goes. Uh, there's this guy uh, that God calls to do a thing. He doesn't want to do the thing that God's called him to, so he physically runs away from God. Uh, but God pursues him and punishes him until he decides that, okay, I guess I'll repent and do this thing that you've called me to do. He then goes and does the thing. Everybody comes uh, to this point of salvation, and it's the end of the story. But yet that completely neglects the content of chapter 2 and of chapter 4, which we'll see in a few weeks. Uh, these chapters are not forget, forgotten in the sense that they've been lost. Just oftentimes people struggle to know what to do with them. And yet I would argue that they're not only integral to the story of Jonah, they actually serve to help us understand the overarching point of this book. Uh, So as we think a little bit about what that is, let's talk first about what Jonah is not about. Uh, First of all, Jonah is not primarily a children's story about a man getting swallowed by a fish. While that event is amazing uh, within the scheme of this story, it is not the point of the story by any stretch. Second, this isn't simply a story about a man who didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and so God punished him until he begrudgingly decided to comply. Um, Our life application from the story of Jonah 
shouldn't be that if we are not obedient, that God will make our lives miserable until we get it together. Because I don't believe that that is true. I don't believe that that's true biblically. I don't believe that that's what happens in this story. And in fact, that's a theology that flies in the face of the gospel. The gospel says that in the midst of and in spite of our disobedience and our waywardness, God has made provision for our well-being through Christ because of his infinite grace and his long-suffering, patient nature. And so hopefully you will see that God's M.O. is not to beat or whip people into submission. God's M.O. is to bowl us over with his kindness and with his love and with the fact that he endures our idiocy, right? The fact that he puts up with us at all should inspire us to give everything to him. His goal is not to beat us until we finally comply. And so that brings us to the third thing that we have to realize about Jonah, and that is that the fish is not punishment. This is what we see in chapter 2. The fish is not punishment for Jonah. It's actually salvation for Jonah. If this isn't God's way of chastising him. Remember, Jonah was so averse to God's call that he tried to physically run away from God. If you go back to the language of chapter 1, Jonah is making this geographical and spiritual descent. Uh, Chapter 1 says that Jonah went down to the port of Joppa, and and he went down into the belly of this ship because they were going to go down to the city of Tarshish. And then the storm arises, and Jonah says, throw me down into the water. And then he goes down into the belly of this fish. And And it's only once he comes to this place of repentance that things turn around for his life. He actually comes back, this fish vomits him up. You know, right back, back out onto the shore, which is a beautiful picture, right? Just an amazing thing. So he's tried to physically run away from God. But when that didn't work, here's what I think Jonah was going to do. I think he just wanted to commit suicide. I think he thought going to Nineveh was suicide. That there was no way that he was going to live. And obviously God was pursuing him. And obviously the only way that he would finally run away from God fully would be to die and to go to Sheol, this place of the dead. He talks about the bars wrapping around him, this doorway to this place of the dead, separated from God. I think Jonah was resolved to just go there. And so he tells the sailors in chapter 1, just kill me. Just kill me because I'm so unwilling. But something amazing happens. And that, that thing is, is God has grace for his waywardness. God has grace for his disobedience. And so God appoints a fish, a whale, a sea creature of some kind. To swallow Jonah. So rather than allowing Jonah to just take his own life, 
rather than allowing Jonah to just continue his descent, God, in his amazing grace and in his amazing long-suffering patience, saves Jonah's life. And that's part of the point. We have to see the gospel in action in Jonah. And you may go, well, isn't this the Old Testament, right? You know, isn't doesn't the gospel come later? No, no, no. Hopefully you recognize that the Bible is a cohesive unit. The gospel is not some new idea once we get to the book of Matthew. The gospel is part of God's mission and intention from even before the foundation of the world. And so as we read even books like Jonah in the Old Testament, we see this gospel thread weaving throughout. A few clues that there's a gospel narrative within the story of Jonah. One, we learn that God is concerned about a large group of unlovable people who are guilty of terrible things. We learn that God cares about them and that God wants better things for them. Secondly, we learn that God desires to send a single man with a prophetic message of truth to these unlovable people. Three, we learn that God's desire for everyone in the story is repentance, right? God's desire for everyone in the story is repentance. For Jonah, for the Ninevites, and God displays an abundance of long-suffering kindness that ultimately leads the people to repentance. For Jonah, the kindness is that God saves his life. For the Ninevites, we'll see uh, in the coming weeks that God warns them of impending destruction if they don't turn from their sin. And so rather than just destroying them, Jonah and the Ninevites, rather than just letting them die, God gives them a chance. We learn that salvation in the Lord is available to all people, not just Jews. Salvation is available to all people. And five, we learn that God wants to use common, everyday people to accomplish his purposes. God wants to call sinful, disobedient people into his family, into his plan, into his mission. God wants to use us to accomplish his purposes, which is amazing in and of itself. And there are many more parallels that we can draw. Luke uh, posted a blog this past week, and he talked some about uh, uh, Tim Keller's exposition of the similarities between Jonah and Jesus. And there's some amazing parallels that you can see there, some really interesting stuff. Let's look again at at chapter 2. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. And and just notice some of this language that he's using. He says, I called out to the Lord. Like, I'm realizing I'm not dead I'm alive. I I was headed for death. I was headed for Sheol. I'm here in the belly of this fish, and and I'm calling out to God. You you cast me into the deep. That that, that wasn't just me. Like, I'm, I'm here with purpose, right? God, you have intention in what you're doing. You are sovereign. The reason I'm alive now is because you have moved. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me, even when things seemed like they were crushing me. Even when I was driven away from your sight. Even when the waters closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me and the weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down. All of this language 
when I was fainting away, my life was fainting away, God, you have brought me up out of the pit. And I read this, and it sounds a lot like one of my favorite U2 songs, uh, which happens to be Psalm 40, the Psalm of David, when he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I didn't do that. God did it, right? God is the one who has brought me out of the pit. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. When I realize what God has done for me, what do I do? I want to worship him. I want to pour out my life and my heart to him. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. So while the fish is salvation and not punishment, it's also obviously a wake-up call, right, for Jonah. You don't find yourself in the belly of a fish and not think, well, maybe there are some life choices, you know, (laughs) that I need to consider. Maybe there are some things I could have done differently here. Have you ever had that moment where you kind of open your eyes and you look around and you go, what in the world am I doing here, right? Has that ever happened to you where you you, you just suddenly go, man, what, like, how how did this happen, right? You know, maybe it's like that uh, emotional relationship with a coworker that you know it's going too far and you, you're going, how, how did this happen? How do I get out of this? You know, maybe it's the addiction that you're reasoning away and you're just going, what, what is going on? Like, what, this, this didn't used to be this way. I know plenty of people who have found themselves sitting in jail going, what, what is going on? I'm talking about people who are not different from me. They're not different from you. People who, like you and me, uh, had some secrets. And we talk about this pit. Jonah talks about the pit. David talks about the pit. Here's the truth. We're the ones who are digging the pit. And yeah, there are holes that we can step into, but often we step into the hole and then we just keep going. And somehow we think, if I just dig, I'll get out of this. Which is insanity. It doesn't make any sense. This guy literally thought he could physically run away from God. He even erroneously thought that if he died, he would somehow get away from God, the creator of all things. Doesn't work that way, does it? Several years ago, I had a guy in a previous church who was addicted to uh, these, like, uh, phone sex hotlines, uh, which I didn't, I, I don't think I realized was a thing. Um, like these one nine hundred, like pay by the minute type things, and uh, it was it was just like overtaking his life, even though no one else knew about it. Um, major secret, hidden sin for this guy. 
Um, and not only that, he was, he was like trying to escape reality at every turn. And so his phone record showed that uh, he would leave for work at like 6 in the morning. He had a 45-minute commute. He would get in the car. Within five minutes of being in the car, he'd be on the phone. And would do this all the way to work in the car. And then he'd come home at night. He was married, no kids. But he'd come home at night and would immediately put on the headset, turn on the TV, and, and just lose himself in video game world into in, the wee hours of the morning, and he'd sleep and repeat. This was his life every day. And thankfully, uh, one day his wife uh, just happened to look at the phone bill that he paid. She didn't, you know, he was the one who took care of that stuff. And, you know, wondered why the phone bill was a bajillion dollars. And so thankfully, rather than leaving the marriage, she stuck it out. And, and what happened was, was the grace that he received, not only from her, but from other people who loved him, rather than condemnation, rather than you idiot, rather than how, how what were you saying, you know, the grace that he received during that period so moved him that it completely changed his life. And... Um, God works through us to bring about his grace and his forgiveness in our lives as we show grace and forgiveness to others. God uses us, people who are in desperate need of his grace and forgiveness, to show his grace and forgiveness to others. Does that that make sense? So never lose sight of the fact that we are not entitled to that. We are not entitled to God's grace. We are undeserving of it. And, 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 and in, in light of that, let us joyously celebrate and worship God in the fact that we have it anyway. That he extends it freely to us. Th- that is the nature of this prayer in Jonah. It's the nature of, of, of what David was saying in Psalm 40. I'm in the pit, I'm in the miry bog, and you are the one who lifted me up and set my feet on the rock. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. Don't trust in anything else. Put your trust in the Lord. He's the only one. You couldn't get yourself out of the pit. No one else could pull you out of the pit. Only God could do that. But let us also talk about the importance of obedience here and and not winding up in these positions because these things don't just happen. We make choices. uh, We choose to believe lies. We choose to go down roads that we shouldn't go down. We have to talk about the importance of obedience, and I talk about this a lot because I believe that it is an essential component of the Christ life. If we claim Jesus, if we claim to be his followers, his disciples, the measure of whether or not that is actually true in our lives is if we do what he says. That is the biblical example. A few passages of scripture, John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One chapter later, John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice that this is conditional, right? This is conditional. We, we have a part to play in this. If we have faith in him, if we believe in him, if we think that he is good, if we believe that he has our best interest in mind, then, then 
then we will do what he calls us to. If we've been bowled over by his kindness and grace, why would we not do what he commands us to do? 1 John 2, 4 through 6, whoever says, I know him, whoever claims him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way, in the same way in which he walked. So when we sing, you're never going to let me down, do you understand that we are to be people who don't let other people down, right? That we are to reflect God's very nature in our lives, that we are to pursue that as we sing about him, as we read about him, as we experience him, at the same time we should be saying, God, through your Holy Spirit, work that out in my life. Teach me how to not let anybody else down. Teach me how to extend this long-suffering, patient grace to others. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Matthew 16.24-26, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him put down his own agenda. Let him put down his wants and desires and take up my agenda, my wants and desires, and everything that comes along with that. For whoever would save his life, whoever would do what he thinks is better for his own life, whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Obedience is the primary evidence of discipleship. It is through obedience that we bear fruit as Christ followers. There is no fruit without obedience. But if you don't have faith, like if you don't trust God as David tells us we should do, you will have nothing to base your obedience on, right? If you don't believe God's good, if you don't believe God's trustworthy, if you haven't dipped your toe in the water of actually resting in him and giving him things and watching him come through for you, if you don't believe this gospel, you will have nothing to base obedience on. Obedience will seem like complete foolishness outside of faith. On Friday, I, I'd stopped by Starbucks on, on Line Avenue in Shreveport, and um, Friday was just a busy day. Um, I'd planned to spend that morning finishing this sermon, um, and then the Hub had a half marathon that some of you guys ran uh, this weekend, and so Friday, most of the day was spent setting up for that, uh, doing packet pickup for runners and um, the weekend was just kind of packed. So I, I only had a few hours that morning to, to get done with this message. And um, needless to say, my schedule was full. Uh, I was leaving Starbucks, and there was, there was this African-American man uh, sitting at a table outside of Starbucks. And, and I was walking by, I made eye contact with him. And he just said, hey, excuse me, do you, do you ever help homeless people? And, and then he just broke down weeping. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, like, until fairly recently in my life, I, I would have said, hey, sorry, man, I don't, I don't have any money. I would have kept walking. I would have gone on with my day and not thought twice about this guy. And yet this was one of those moments for me where I knew, I didn't know exactly what God wanted me to do, but I knew that 
that this had to be a, a deviation from my agenda. Um, and of course, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, right? Like that's, the, that's what's going on in my, in my head. I'm going, I've got, gosh, I've got all this stuff to do. And, and so, so I sat down with him, uh, got him some breakfast, listened to his story, um, and, and started trying to figure out how to help. And, you know, this is a longer story, but, but needless to say, my morning was shot. Um, we spent a few hours uh, getting him some fresh clothes. Uh, he did not have any ID, and if you don't have ID, uh, you can't get into uh, any of the shelters in town. Um, and so uh, I, I went and took him, and we got some, some temporary ID. Uh, and, and, and this story's not over. He has some psychiatric issues and, and needs to get back on some medication, and he needs to get out of the abandoned house that he's living in in Cedar Grove. Um, but but here, here's what I want to say. Here's what I've learned fairly recently about following Jesus that I, I just didn't understand or, or care about for a long time. When Jesus calls up to take, when he calls us to take up our cross, he is calling us to sacrifice our agenda to advocate on behalf of other people. Um, and we cannot advocate on behalf of other people and, and pass judgment on them at the same time. Those two things just don't go together. For Jonah, God was calling him to advocate on behalf of the people of Nineveh. And Jonah struggled greatly to do this because he had already judged them. He was prejudiced towards them. Not only was he afraid for his own life and livelihood, he also, as we'll later learn in chapter 4, he hated these people. He didn't believe that they were in any way deserving of God's grace or God's forgiveness. And here's the irony of Jonah's story. Jonah is no different than the Ninevites. The Ninevites didn't trust God. No, Jonah didn't trust God. The Ninevites were in the pit of sin. Jonah was in the pit of sin. The Ninevites needed a wake-up call. Jonah needed a wake-up call. The Ninevites needed to repent. Jonah needed to repent. Like, Jonah is the same. There is no difference. Despite the common spiritual poverty of both Jonah and the Ninevites, Jonah did not seem to believe that they deserved a second chance, even as he was himself receiving a second chance from God. And many of us are equally guilty of accepting God's gracious, free gift of salvation while simultaneously refusing to be gracious to others because we have judged them unworthy, as undeserving, as people who've made stupid choices and are getting what they deserve. And here's what I realized the other day while trying to help this guy. We all need an advocate we all need an advocate. We all need a mediator. We all need someone who speaks on our behalf and who vouches for us. We went to get an ID for him. And, and because, listen, because I'm white, right, and because I'm middle class, and because I have a business card, I can walk in with this guy and say, hey, we need to get an ID for my friend here. 
He didn't have a birth certificate. He didn't have a social security card. And we walked out with an ID. If he had come in himself, it would not have happened. And that's not because I'm amazing. It's because he needed an advocate. He needed a mediator. He needed to know the right person. We all need to know the right person. He and I are no different, though. You and I are no different, though. We are no different from the poor or the orphaned or the refugee or the immigrant. I also had no hope because I didn't know the right person who could vouch for me before God. But thankfully, Jesus has taken up my case. He can make things happen for me that I could never make happen for myself, despite the stupid choices I've made, despite the pit that I've dug for myself. And listen to me this morning. If you are a Christ follower, but your lens is not one that leads you and compels you to advocate on behalf of other people, then you are missing the gospel. You are missing the very core of what has been done for you through Christ. This is the heart of adoption. It's the heart of foster care. It's the heart of serving the poor. It's the heart of employing people who have a criminal record or a drug history. It's the heart of giving a voice to the voiceless. This is the heart of going to bat for the refugee or the immigrant or the elderly. This is the heart of God. This is what he wanted for Israel in the Old Testament, that they would be a refuge for those kinds of people, and it was the very thing that they didn't want to be or do. And to say that some people are undeserving of your help, and to turn a... They're undeserving of your help and advocacy because of the choices they've made in their life is to turn a blind eye to your own inadequacy and your own poverty. It is nothing more than pure hypocrisy. And so I want to leave you this morning with a parable because Jesus sums this up in in the most genius way in Matthew 18. Kaylee read a little bit of this earlier. The apostle Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, meaning an infinite number of times. He then tells this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused 
and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see God saying, do you understand what I have done for you through Christ? Do you understand the grace that I've extended to you? Do you understand like the sacrifice that I have made on your behalf? And when you say, yeah, I understand all of that, and then you go out and you treat other people with such contempt, or you don't extend grace, or you demand things from them that you shouldn't demand, do you understand the hypocrisy with which you're conducting your life? Man, as I read the story of Jonah and As I think about the gospel, I'm just struck by how often we miss this. How easily we judge the people around us. And how highly we think of ourselves. And so my prayer for myself, y'all, because this is not, my compassion is not my gift. Just talk to my family and friends. It, it is, it's something I have to work at. But, but here's what I've learned. I, I will never be compassionate enough on my own. And, and here in recent years, God has done a work in my heart. And, and I find myself doing things that years ago I, I never even would have thought about or given a second thought to. Um, and he deserves all the glory that like it, it, it really is amazing how God changes our lives right and as we start to focus on what he wants and who he is and how like what makes him beautiful and and what does it mean to follow him our lives will start to look different from everyone else around us from the rest of this world our lives will start to look countercultural, where other people will go, that moron? Or why in the world is he doing that? And yet my sin nature tells me to run away from that, right? It tells you to run away from that too. Run away from God, run away from his call, you know, claim the things that you want that benefit you, but then run away from the rest of it. And those two things are not really compatible. And he will pursue you. Right? He won't let you go. He will come after you. And he will extend grace upon grace. So as we come to the table this morning, as we consider his body and his blood, I I hope you realize that he's saying to us, this is my body that is being broken for you. This is my blood that's being spilled for you. Because I am advocating for your life. 
before God and I'm actually sacrificing my life for the sake of your life before God so that your sin, your inadequacy, your poor decisions, so that those things will be covered by my perfection. That is the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. And so let's pray to that end, that God will help us to see that, that God will help us to follow him in that in our lives.